Hi, I'm your host, Tom DeSavia. Join me as I interview guests from music and entertainment from around the world about what they're up to right now. Stay tuned, because we're gone in 30 minutes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Gone in 30 Minutes. My guest today is Mr. Jody Stevens. He of Big Star, Those Pretty Wrongs, Golden Smog, the keeper of the Arden Studios Flame, Memphis's favorite son, and <laughs> undisputed, the nicest guy in rock and roll. Jody, it's so good to see you right now, pal. It's it's wonderful to see you, Tom. Thanks for having me. This um, is uh, this is the social interaction I get these days. Well, I, it's one of the things, one of the benefits of us starting the show is I get to talk to some friends and people I haven't gotten to see in a long time, and it feels like I'm getting interaction, and it's great yes, <laughs> yeah. to talk to people and see faces. Um, what are you doing? We always start this off. What are you doing right now? What's going on, buddy? Right now, I uh, I'm here at Arden Studios in Studio B. And uh, we are currently closed uh, due to the coronavirus, but we're making good use of the time with uh, just equipment maintenance and Pro Tools upgrades and, and mic repairs and all that sort of thing, building repairs. Uh, so, I mean, we're all set for when we do reopen, but I've uh, got that. And uh, Luther Russell and I have a uh, duo called Those Pretty Wrongs, and we're writing for our third LP. Uh, which is kind of miraculous. I, I I thought we might get four or five songs for the first one, and I would have been you know happy with that. But we kind of move on and and uh, and uh, are into the third album. Uh, that's exciting to me. There's new prospects for a, a new label, so that's good. I don't know. Luther and I are part of this. Uh, uh, it's a new platform called N Live, and it's uh, it's a kind of all in one sort of service for high-end uh, live streaming and uh, from ticketing to high-end audio and and uh, video so th that's that's cool and that's exciting because it could it's 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 a way for musicians to 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 be taken care of and and have somebody handle ticketing and, and payouts and that sort of thing but i think bringing venues back too i think it'd be good for ardent and and certainly the levitt shell here and and all the people that are employed by those services. So I don't know. It's it's uh, I'm staying busy. I just uh, I don't get to touch enough people. How are you? Physically. And we're going to jump around a bit on this. You've already kicked off a bunch of things I want to talk about. But going to writing with Luther. Are you? How are you doing? Are you? Are you? Are you writing like pen pals with each other? Are you getting on a video thing to write? Are you writing during this process together? Yes, I. Uh, and the way we started out was, uh, you know, I'd call Luther's cell phone and sing uh, melodies and lyrics into his voicemail. And, and and as I got a little more sophisticated, I would record it on my phone and then attach it to an email. And then Luther would, uh, you know, in turn respond with with his ideas and, and melody lines and lyrics. And, uh, and you know, it, it worked well for us. The records are, are great, and you're perfect. You're a perfect, perfect match. But mm, I really agree. Out, and it really brought out Jody, the songwriter, in a way that a lot of us didn't know about it anymore. And Luther obviously comes from a great historic family of writers. And together, like when, how did it start? How did you two actually come together? 
Well, it's uh, the Big Star documentary, Nothing Can Hurt Me, uh, Danielle McCarthy's uh, documentary. It's, uh, they, uh, they wanted to screen it in, in L.A. at the newer theater, but they wanted me to sing some songs. They didn't have a budget to put a band together. So Luther lives now in Pasadena and I called him up and he joined me and John Auer wound up joining us and maybe some other folks. But at any rate, it, it got us together and, and, and doing these big star songs and, and certain events. And uh, Luther looked at me and said, why don't we start writing some together? And, and, and I know Luther since 91. Mm -hmm. at that point and and this was uh 2012 maybe um so at any rate i i had, had faith in confident luther's brilliant uh brilliant guitarist uh, keyboard player uh singer writer um i and yeah, i agree he's we're we're a perfect pairing he's he's the best i could hope for that's um, so that's that's how that moved forward it's just our getting together for the sing big star songs for the big star documentary. I was at that screening. I was at that screening. John was actually at my house mm -hmm. then. We came down and I remember it was it was a great it was a great night, but I didn't realize that was actually the nucleus of you and Yeah, Luther. yeah. And that was also the inspiration for uh Lucky Guy. I flew out of Memphis all the way to LA, lost my voice, but I still found my way because I had no voice to, to sing big star songs at the Newark theater. And I was lucky that, you know, Luther was there, John Auer was there and people covered. Amazing. What, well, I want to go a, a little backwards. And I was so like, I want to get into as much as we can in this short period of time, but I want to know a little bit about just your nucleus, the, the start of Jody. You're, you're, you're as, as Memphis as anyone comes. You were born and raised in Memphis. You're a proud, resident of this yes. yeah you were seeped in one of the greatest musical you american musical cultural uh pools of talent in memphis what point did young jody realize who's going to do music or be involved in music well it, it was actually a band from liverpool and uh the beatles got me into it and uh excited about music and and uh my brother jimmy and i jimmy plays bass and Put a band together uh, from the neighborhood and and uh, did British Invasion covers, uh, Beatles included, of course. And then, uh, but Stax came along and got on our radar, and uh, and we both flipped over Stax and and Sam and Dave and Isaac Hayes and all those folks, and it really connected with us. And and before you know it, we had a soul band. Uh, uh, we brought in Calvin. Uh, a black lead singer, kind of like uh, this deep, rich voice, just an amazing singer. And and we were doing stacks and 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 uh, just soul covers and stuff. Right. That's what. Well, so it's and one of the things I wanted to dive into. So the first time I met you, and the first time I came to Memphis was as a I was a young man, and I was with the Jim Blossoms for a week when they were recording at Arden. It was the first time I came out there and it was mind blowing to me. I mean, I'm also grew up a Stax fan. I have a Stax tattoo on my arm, which I will not share with you, you all. <laughs> but I had never 
experience it really as, as someone who grew up and really didn't travel that much before I got was about 19 and got into the music business. I'd not really left the confines of California. I had a family that didn't fly. We did a lot of driving trips. And it was really sort of at the dawn of what I'll call the death of regionalism. The 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 you know the Starbucks culture and everything sort of looking the same from town to town. Mm -hmm. And going into Memphis, my mind was blown and it became instantly one of my favorite places on the planet. It it looks like Memphis, it tastes like Memphis, it the art is from Memphis and certainly the music. It, were you acutely aware that you were growing up in and what was happening was really just around you, it was just in the square miles around you and and you you obviously were aware of what was happening over the pond in Liverpool and the rock that was happening throughout the country, but how much of it was, I live here, I need to do music. And you've obviously been one of the proudest flag wavers of that part of Tennessee. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, believe me, I, I, I value where I lived and, and where I was born and, and, uh, and, and certainly, uh, my kind of first introduction uh, to Memphis music was that through the Stax releases. Uh, I, yeah, I've I've always been aware of it, and uh, but interestingly enough, I had this kind of I'm not worthy sort of thing about you know getting trying to get over to Stax and get inside, and uh, it was just I mean certainly it. it by 1970, I was I was hanging out at Ardent, at the other location, and and John Fry had this you know incredible relationship with Stax. We, I think, every major Stax artist worked at Ardent except for Otis Redding, in some form or fashion. So John Fry and Al Bell had this wonderful relationship, and it's not like I couldn't have asked John to, hey, do you think you could get me into Stax? But I just didn't. Uh, it was like. You know the gods live there, uh, the you know the soul music gods, and uh, I just. But yes, I was I was a, a aware of it, acutely aware of it. I I was in the eighth grade, and I go to Beale Street on. I'd hop on a bus and go to Beale Street on Saturday mornings, and uh, there'd be different the Gentries, a lot of different bands would be playing down there. Well, I go down Beale Street and walk and go to the pawn shops, and yes, I was aware of it. Did the, did the, I mean, you and Andy Hummel have the groove that has now that DNA has run through so many bands and your sound is, has influenced so many that too many to list and too many to, to come. Uh, was your groove, you were hearing those grooves. Did that influence your playing? Did that influence the sound when you, because you and Andy were the first two to get together at the Nucleus of Big Stars. Is that correct? Me, uh, Chris, Andy, and I were the first to get okay. together, and then, and uh, that was probably March of 1970. Andy, I was playing drums in the Memphis State production of Hair. I was still in high school, but Andy came to see that. We wound up at a, a little jam at, at Chris Bell's back house, and and uh, so, and Andy and Chris and I became the nucleus, and then Alex joined in maybe December of '70 or January of '71. What were you playing at that? Do you remember what you were playing at that jam? Oh, you know, probably some Beatles stuff and, and maybe Led Zeppelin, James Gang. I know Chris and Andy and I wound up doing Bomber and Funk 49 from James Gang, uh, Fresh as a Daisy, uh, Emmett Rhodes, Tinker Taylor from Terry Reed, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Did they, um, I mean, did you, was it an instant, you know, what, what was Big Star 2 when it was happening? Was it like, oh, this is going to be a nice way to spend a few months? Was it like, holy cow, we've really got, this is something. What did you see for it? I'm just, I'm always curious, like, what, if you could go back to that kid, was the view what every band has? Like, hey, we're going to become the next big band, or this is just a fun thing we're going to do locally for a couple of months? I mean, obviously, I had no idea the legend that would come from this. Yeah, I, uh, well, I, we had a, we had a mentor in John Fry. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there were a lot of possibilities sitting in front of us. And uh, I don't know. I, never, I, I was always excited about the moment and, and what we were doing and getting to be a part of that. I don't, you know, I don't think too much about the future uh, with regard to music because it was, I don't know, it's somewhat of a pie in the sky kind of thing. And uh, so I would, you know, I just appreciate the moment. And as it evolved and, and Alex joined and we started working on material, I'm thinking, I'm a lucky guy. I, uh, this material is as, as exciting to me as, as all the cover songs I've been playing. And, uh, and it meant something to me, and as well as the connection with Alex and Chris and Andy. And that, I don't know, there's part of, there's something special about being part of a group of people. And uh, uh, they, I, I never felt it more than when the four of us were, were out somewhere together. That didn't happen very often, but that was cool. But certainly in the studio, we all, it just clicked magically uh, for me. And, and uh, I don't know, creativity, where does it come from? Yeah. It just, things happened and it, it worked out. Well, and obviously have no way of knowing it. I'm sure there must have been some disappointment. There would be for any artist that births a child and unleashes it to the world and, and it doesn't set the world on fire at the time. But then to see that you've had this career that has been not seeped in nostalgia, just seeped in art, there's not one song. It's that thing where like, how much would have a hit song changed the legacy of this band and instead they became about these albums they became about a body of work and it was never about one or two songs and i think that's got to be kind of a wonderful feeling to look back now and realize that people people ingested this as they were recorded people ingested these albums they they read the book not just the chapter yeah wow thanks for that uh, it, the, the music becoming uh Engaging as a, a body of work as opposed to one or two songs. Uh, mm. That's a, a you know terrific compliment. Thanks for that. I uh, I don't I I don't know. I uh, I, it's funny. I started thinking about that and I forgot what the original question was. Well, I mean, it was it was just me more rambling at you. But I guess the idea is like, did you think at the time? Did you have any idea that this music? Did you think? I wonder what we're doing is, could you even think oh, the, 10 hours and no. 10 years in the future at that point? No, no I, it was just, uh, it was just the time and, you know, appreciating the fact that I was there and, you know, if anything happened from that, it it had been great, but you know, who knows, maybe if we had had a hit, uh, things, who knows, I, things worked out pretty well as, right. as, as it turns out. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Well, I remember as a kid, I think just in high school, when um, the Bengals put out Different Light. Mm 
Mm. And they covered obviously September Girls for our audience. And that was the first time I became aware of Big Star. But not heard, and I, the press was writing about it. The press obviously all knew about you. I was starting to read, you know, as much press as I could get my hand on. And it was just a, it was a musical centerpiece of this album. It was great. And it was a few years later. And I'm, I, I think about this a lot. And I met, uh, when I was about 19, 20 years old, I met the Posies. And they had just mm -hmm. recorded Failure. And through a buddy of mine, Joe Williams, I worked with, they'd come through Los Angeles and we'd all got to hang out for a few days. And they were one of the first bands I ever met. And I was just enthralled with these guys. And they were telling us all about Big Star. And I remember they had a cassette and we were all sitting around and they were playing this Big Star cassette. And we all kind of went like, well, it was one of those moments that happens throughout life that's great where your brain just kind of goes, okay, there's something else out there and I got to go find this. There's more than what's coming through the radio. But it was in that era, it was pre-internet. So when they left in that van, the music left with them. Mm -hmm. and it was hard to find. And it was for years later, but that was the one of those moments for me. And a lot of people where we went, okay, there's, there's treasure to be found. And then it was obviously leading, you know, they became massive torchbearers of the mm -hmm. band, eventually joining the band. What, what was yeah. Well, the introduction certainly was Gary Gersh at Geffen, uh -huh. and uh, Gary introduced me to Luther Russell as well. So those those were two uh, introductions that had you know quite a bit of longevity to them. I uh, they uh, it, Gary introduced me and and to John and Ken, and they wound up sending me a single that they'd covered. I am the Cosmos and uh, Feel. Mm -hmm. uh, Feel being a big star song and Cosmos being a, a Chris Bell song, and I had to listen and. They were so close to the originals. They were they were brilliant and and uh, and exciting to listen to. So, you know, it, it that fast forward a few years. Well, I, you know, a couple. Of, we got together in '93 with them. So two years later, mm -hmm. uh, we get this call about you know this quote unquote reunion gig that Alex and I would do, and we needed two other members, and I. I told the the promoters of, of this event uh, to call John and Ken, and they did, and that's how we wound up getting to play together. And then Bud Scapa and Jim Rondinelli, you know, Bud was A uh, and R at Zoo then, and Jim was, you know, and, and is a fantastic engineer and producer. And so we all got together, and and Zoo provided some money. We got to rehearse for it and and do a little little bit of a proper lead up. To, you know mm -hmm. rehearsals and stuff to it and and then that worked it was that even that had its challenges uh from the wet we played in a tent uh the weather was there was a thunderstorm that moved through earlier so that live in you know big stars live at columbia mm -hmm. uh, that that could easily have not have happened but i don't know that's how alex and i came to, to work with john and ken and did at what point uh, any other talk you've been surrounded by some amazing behind the scenes people Ronda Nelly Scapa to yeah. we talk about another which I'll bring up in a minute uh Jeff Powell another another uh, a favorite Mem Memphis uh, human uh at what point in the process did you say we're going to we're going to write new songs we're going to make another big star album was that just obvious did you and the guys just it, did it just feel right I, I don't actually ever know the story I got to go to a bunch of those shows but I don't think I yeah, I uh, we talked about it from time to time, and and uh, I think uh, 
Ken and John and I had kind of dropped it, but I, we were on stage in, in London, I think, and uh, Alex stepped forward to the mic and said, these guys don't know it yet, but we're going to record a, a, a new album. And uh, so, you know, it was still, you know, it, that was some years into it after, you know, that was yeah. 2000 maybe. And, uh, but it's still some time passed. And then Alex called me and, and with a plan to record a new record. And that was, we'd write and record a song a day, literally show up at the studio with an idea or come up with an idea that day and then record it and, and kind of flesh it out. And, um, so that's, you know, that's how that came about. Was it was was it weird to go back to that place and start writing big star songs again, or did it just feel like this is what we do? Was it just a real natural step? Yeah, it's uh, some of it was Alex and and John collaborated on some, and and Ken and John and Alex and and I collaborated on a couple of songs with John Hour, and we just I'd bring an idea into the studio. I brought an idea for a song into the studio, and uh one morning and, and John and I sat down and he had his little cassette deck and we kind of worked our way through getting a, a bridge for it and that sort of thing. I would sing melodies and he would do music. Uh, so we did that and then the next day I had another idea and and uh, we, same sort of process and, and uh, got took it in the studio and we cut it that day. And those were, uh, you know, February's quiet and uh, best chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken brought in ideas. Alex brought in ideas, some of which were uh, Aria Largo on the on that record. Mm-hmm. It's a classical piece that he had transposed from that that classical instrumentation lineup to uh, two guitars, bass, and drums. And so we were all sort of sitting there reading music. It was <laughs> very simple parts, so it was easy to follow. And uh, you know, it kind of came together over uh, two different. Uh, meetings here at the studio um and you know at the end of the day we had a record i don't know that i'd ever record another record like that just show up and try to write stuff at at the moment or bring in stuff that was you know written the night before but uh it seemed to work there's some cool things love revolutions a lot of fun it worked man and and jeff powell produced it jeff powell alex pretty much produced and and Jeff Powell uh, uh, added to production, that's for yeah. sure. And he just, I know there's a couple of new Big Star reissues out that Jeff, uh, Jeff remastered. Uh, Brilliant. They that, sound awesome. They yes. sound amazing. They sound that, amazing. Craft they Recording are, or Concord folks did those and took yeah. a great, great amount of care for that. They're, Grateful for that. They're beautiful. Well, I wanted to go forward to, um, I was actually in, 10 years ago, having dinner with John Hour and his wife, Michelle, at the time, his then wife, when they got the call about Alex. Mm. And the show quickly scrambled to become a tribute show, which was partially featured in the documentary. But can can I ask you about that? Where where were you? Were you in Texas when you yes. got Yes. That was, a, a, uh, I got... Alex passed away that Wednesday, I believe it was the 17th of March, uh, 2010. And I was at the convention center. It was the South by Southwest event. And I was at the convention center. I think I just registered and, and Laura gave me a call. Right. 
And I was in the middle of this big convention hall, you know, where registration was. And uh, she told me. And uh, all of a sudden, it was, all of a sudden, it's just dead silence. I mean, there's still people. Nobody knows what the call's about. But for me, the whole world just kind of came to a, to a halt. And uh, it's funny, you know, it, it almost feels like there are these uh, curtains that, that surround you. And all of a sudden, there's this isolation. And uh you know, of course, it was horrible to hear, and uh, and I felt so sorry for uh, Laura, and, and uh, I get you know what a tragedy to, to lose Alex, and uh, you know I just say uh, we Alex I, I I don't know I connect with with I connect with Alex musically, and uh, and just had some moments that uh, you know were. Brilliant moments for me, um, but so yeah, it was horrible. And um, I spoke with uh, John and Ken, and you know, the first thing is, hey, we really need to to play and and turn this into a tribute to Alex. And the uh, there's an advertising, there is an advertising agency down there, GSDNM, that was supporting the the gig. And I talked to those folks, and they they you know whatever we can do to to help see you through this. Uh, do you want us to fly somebody in? Do you want us to do this, that? And so we carried on and John and Ken pretty much put it together. Mm. Um, and uh, it was just, it was a, Andy Hummel was there. Uh, he'd come down to see us. And uh, and at that point, we all knew that Andy uh, had liver cancer and didn't have long to live. Um, so I... Uh, I don't, it was, it was weird here. Alex had just passed away and, and I'm sitting across the table from Andy and uh, knowing that Andy didn't have long to live. Uh, it was, I don't know, you know, you just put one foot in front of the other and you get through things like that. Well, and that show became a, a beautiful celebration of, of, of art that night. I mean, I don't know probably how much you even remember about it. But there was the, the community came together. There was a lot of guest singers. For those that don't know about the event, and it wound up being a a really a really beautiful night. And it I, was indeed, and uh, I mean, there were a lot of kind of great moments for me. And and uh, but it was interesting. John Auer introduced Andy Hummel, and when he did, uh, John was saying these goofy kind of funny things to introduce people. And one, one guy said, Alex was in the Navy SEALs with this guy. And, and of course, Alex was in the, never in the Navy SEALs. And, uh, and when he introduced uh, Andy, he said, Hey, here's Andy Hummel all the way from Lithuania. And, uh, you know, Andy lived in Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth, I mean, Fort Fort Worth, Texas, and, and uh, had driven down. Um, with his wife, uh, Patty. And, and, uh, so it was a joke, but that later wound up in, I think in a billboard kind of mention, Andy Hummel came all the way from Lithuania. Right. <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny. Man, that's hilarious. All right. We're going straight into the lightning round. Uh, I have Sammy Davis Jr.'s hat here, Jody. I'm going to ask you some questions. You have the right to pass, but I encourage you don't. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but we could look at Sammy Davis Jr.'s hat all day long. That'd I'll leave cool. it up. It's more attractive than what's happening. I kind of got a Jody Stevens flip. I didn't kind of plan on that. Yeah. That was my goal. Uh, what's your favorite cartoon of all time? 
Oh, God, Popeye. Yes. Um, if you could go back in time, what period would you go to? 1978. Uh, no, 1983. 83 in Memphis? Yes. Would you uh, climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Climb a mountain. Any particular mountain you'd like to climb, Jody? Oh, uh, the Matterhorn. My uncle, uh, Dan Sullivan, climbed the Matterhorn, so that'd be good to do that. Oh, that's cool. Uh, let's see. Um, what are you having for dinner tonight? We never know what these questions are going to say. Potluck. Excellent. I don't know. Diana, we usually, Diana usually spearheads the dinner. She's not working anymore. That first trip I came to, uh, to Memphis, I had butt steak for the first time right across the street from the studio. There's a place that had a big sign said butt steak and I was never wow. heard from the Valley. Uh, what's the funniest joke, you know, by heart, it can be a drummer joke. Uh, I don't know. I, I, that, that would take it up 30 minutes just trying to think of a joke. <laughs> What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever worn? Oh, gee, uh, probably white tennis shorts. Those short ones that tennis players used to wear. It's funny. Alex, Alex, you can see Alex in, in them in a couple of photos. <laughs> Not mine, but his own. Ask permission or beg forgiveness? Ask permission. You're nice. Most man. of the time. 99% <laughs> of the time. Uh, what movie would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical? Well, uh, uh, the more the merrier. No, actually, it was a brilliant movie anyway. 1945. It was a brilliant movie, but it would be funny as a musical. I think it's a trick question. No movie needs to be made into a musical. Uh, uh, here's, a, here's a standard one, but a fun one. What's your one Desert Island album? Take one record. Oh, I... Uh, you got 30 seconds, Jody, or... or, or uh, Willis, Ellen, Ramsey. Boom. See, there you go. Or else I was going to pick it for you. Can you pick up something with your toes, Jody? Sure. Okay. Good answer. Uh, have you ever tried to cut your own hair? Uh, yeah. That's time, to, time to time, you know. Um, who do you admire? No, I admired John Fry. Uh, I admired, uh, I admire uh, Barack Obama. Um, I don't know. I, I admire a lot of people Those with people that have grace about them and mentor people. Well, what a perfect way to end this because Jody, I've gotten to know you for a long time. I truly admire you. I admire your grace. I admire your love of the arts. I admire your love of your hometown. And whenever you walk into a room, you brighten it up and you're just one of the, the, the true good people of this planet. And I really thank you for taking this time to talk with us. You're a sweet man, Tom. Thank you so much. Jody, great to see you, pal. This show was presented by Craft Recordings. Thanks for joining us for Gone in 30 Minutes. Produced by Laura Saez. I'm your host, Tom, and we'll catch you next time.